It was called the war to end all wars. The darkest period of the 20th century, 1933 to 1945. Upon conclusion, the truth about the enemy was beyond comprehension. Gas chambers, crematoriums, Auschwitz, mass murder. Enslaved people so thin and emaciated they looked like walking skeletons. Entire families annihilated, their names and faces buried in unmarked mass graves. Over six million men, women, and children dead. Not because of military battles, but systematically murdered one by one by fellow human beings. History's unhealed wound, the Holocaust, became known as World War II. And the world was shocked. How could this happen, they said, in a civilized society? How could human beings take part in such calculated evil? Why doesn't someone oppose Adolf Hitler? And theologians and historians and presidents and leaders and average citizens asked over and over, why? Why? Was it prejudice and greed? A struggle for scarcity of resources? A personal vendetta to create a super race? Or was it just one man, Adolf Hitler's uncanny charisma and ability to organize people around a cause that created social pressure to conform? The human race wanted a scapegoat for the Great Depression, and Hitler gave them Jews and gypsies and Slavs. Blind obedience to government was the demand, and it was all carefully calculated into the equation of war. And still, the question haunts humanity even to this day. Why? No, we say to ourselves, it, it could not happen again. World War II is over. A footnote in the pages of history. Mankind is beyond this. But don't be lulled to sleep. Don't be fooled by pseudo-peace. Don't kid yourself. Evil does exist. But it's not the evil that you suspect. It's not the enemy that you can see or you can smell or you can touch. This is an enemy far more sinister than Adolf Hitler, more twisted than modern society, more evil than the most insidious crime, an enemy who seeks to murder individuals like you and I, a battle which has raged from the dawn of time, safe in America, safe in our homes. It's easy to forget that we are at war because none of us have to remember this. We all must understand we are not exempt from this war. In fact, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, whether we even acknowledge the notion, it is there. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that we are in the midst of this great struggle. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The greatest lie that we can ever tell ourselves as human beings is that somehow we can overcome evil. A lot of people believe that government and social systems will solve their problems. Mankind, people will say, doesn't need a creator, a God to fight our battles. We're fine on our own. Fast forward to modern day Christians and American church, and it seems to be no different. 
content with our lattes and our bagels and our flashing lights and our haze and our mirrors. We've settled ourselves into a nice long winter's nap of contentment. And our quest to live in a culturally sensitive society, we have come dull, we have become desensitized to the concept of spiritual warfare. And that's what I'm talking about today. I'm not up here for a show. I'm not up here to do anything but present to you this notion, this takeaway, that you are in a war. The struggle's real. The evidence is clear. But I can't be content to just shove aside these musings about world wars and strife and, and as, as it's a problem for society and the church to solve. I've got to examine my own heart. I've got to ask myself, am I at war? Am I at war? And indeed, upon self-examination, I conclude the struggle's real. There is a battle between good and evil. Satan and his demons and God and his angels are fighting a heavenly war. There is a, a battle royale between Satan and Jesus. And to coin a phrase, there's an epic war to end all wars between my old sinful nature and my renewing mind. The difference isn't about this war, it's about land and scarcities and and resources. It's about souls. It's about people's lives and spirituality. So we have to be aware. Now, anyone versed in the strategy of war knows that the first rule of war is you've got to know your enemy. You've got to understand their intent and their strengths. You've got to decipher the methods of warfare that's being deployed by the enemy. Now, here's what I know today. I know that Satan is our enemy. In Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that Satan is a deceiver. He tempted Adam and Eve. It stands to reason that if he was bold enough to do that and bold enough to tempt Jesus then the son, and the Son of God, he will certainly tempt you and I. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us as well, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking, looking for someone to devour. So Satan is a powerful enemy with the, the dark forces of the world in his hand and, and evil has all of its source in him. I don't know if you know this or not, but when you are doing God's will, if you are working for his kingdom, if you are striving to know Jesus Christ, Satan will step up his attack. Andrew just talked about it a minute ago. You might think it's battle of the floors and midterms tests, but you're wrong. That's just what Satan's using. He's at war today to destroy who you are spiritually. He will use anything and everything to do it. And you've got to be on your guard and you've got to recognize the tactics of the enemy because evil spirits and dark forces of the spiritual world are under his dominion. He is our enemy and there are dark things happening around us. I've been thinking a lot about this. In fact, when Dr. Graham asked me to, to preach today, I said yes. I'm ready. I know what God wants me to talk about. I've been thinking about this and dealing with this in my own life for the last several months, spiritual warfare. I like to write, I like to re-image Bible stories in the modern day setting. And I've been thinking about how this would work in my next project that I'm writing. And I'm taking the book of Job and I'm re-imaging it into modern day setting. And I'm gonna make it be real. And one of the things that I'm talking about is what it's like to encounter Satan. 
I want you to picture yourself in this scenario. I want to read something from this story that I'm writing because I want you to get a hold of what really this thing is like and how actual real it is. Here's part of my story. I awake to hands around my throat. Not just my throat, but my arms and legs. Trust like a pig for market, I'm a human straitjacket. A sweaty palm is clamped over my lips and I'm unable to move. I'm unable to speak. Fight is not an option. Slowly, I allow my eyelids to flutter open, but all I see are shadows and faint figures. Stale onions and cigarette breath blanch the air. I felt the urge to vomit, but bite back the bile squeezing up my nostrils. Rolling my eyes to the left, I glimpse my bedside light is glowing faintly and shadows are flitting across the walls and the ceiling, and suddenly I understand. The room is filled with assailants. And realization causes panic to fly into my body and struggling to breathe, I cough while simultaneously thrusting my body upward, attempting to escape. But bony fingers and hands deepen their probes, separating my muscles, tearing at my bones. Nerve-jangling pain rips through my exhausted frame, and then I hear these words. Relax, and this won't get any uglier. Instantaneous recognition flashes through my memory. I know this voice. I have seen the face, the same face leering from the gray SUV chasing me two days ago, the same face grinning at me in the coffee shop, the same smug, arrogant jerk who strolled into the heavenly council with Elohim and laughed at his angels. Abaddon had returned, and there was no pretense of recognition, no escape, and suddenly I wondered if this was real. It felt real, but am I dreaming? And suddenly, the fingers crushing my larynx Loosen slightly, allowing gargled words to creep from my tongue, and I whispered out, Am I dreaming? Depends on your definition of dreaming, the voice responded. If we're talking a sunny daydream, strolling through the park with your lovely bride on your arm and dramatically pausing, he continued, Then no. But if you're thinking this is my worst nightmare come to life like Freddy Krueger with death in his hands, and another silence. And then I felt the rush of his breath flowing through my mouth. And sickened, I tried to turn my head, but powerful hands once again crushed my neck muscles, forcing beyond my will, I must look my tormentor eye to eye. So close our lips graze. Icy cold breath pours into my mouth, seeps through my nostrils, and he says, yes, indeed. Now that's a dream worth remembering. Fear settles into the deep places of my mind. Finding no solace, it reaches for my bones, and though I fight, I, I cannot win. So I succumb, and like a frightened child under the blankets, I involuntarily squeak like a plucked chicken. Ah, poor little guy, he chuckles, all alone and forgotten. Are you afraid? Lying still, his words rush over me like stormwater racing to the drain. Do you feel it, he says? my greasy, slimy tendrils of fear slipping through your veins. In fighting emotion, I tell myself, don't weep or beg, don't weep or beg. And even though I fear for my life, I cannot, will not give him the satisfaction, but no words can register. Not a single solitary sound receives utterance. My will to survive is ebbing. If this was the end, I was ready. 
Life was the only thing I had left to give. Everything else had been taken, so why fight? Get him up. It's time to go. And rough hands wrestle me to a standing position. And jerking my head back, I gaze once again into those dark, deep pools of blackness. Face to face with Abaddon himself, he smiles and says, I don't succumb to fear. I create fear. Right now, I cannot tell you how important this is for me to have you hear me today. That spiritual warfare is real. And Satan is your enemy. And he wants to destroy you. Satan is not only our enemy, but there's also a hidden enemy. A second enemy, if you want to call it. Our enemy is the culture and the society that we live in. Where we can be deceived and we can be influenced by the pressures and philosophies and people of this world. Colossians 2.8 warns us, it says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I mentioned this earlier, but the greatest lies of our generation are that we don't have to worry about anything. We can overcome evil ourselves, or that we don't need God. And so what happens is, is when we fight against culture and society and we begin to think that we don't really need support in that area, we begin to feel the pressure that the American dream has for us to get bigger and better and more stuff rather than sacrificing and being obedient, helping the poor, spreading the gospel. We begin to sense the desire to be beautiful is more important than anything else in our lives and our clothes and our hair and our computers and our phones. and Everything just has to be right. And because of this pressure that we feel, we compare ourselves to others and then we struggle with low self-esteem and, and even envy. We might feel the pressure to begin to involve ourselves in things we know we should not be involved in, to do things we shouldn't do. And if we're not careful, we accept more and more sin into our lives without recognizing it as sin. Now today, I'm preaching really honestly to myself. I'm real about this. I'm not exempt. Satan and his demons every day attempt to deceive me. The world creates a powerful lure on my mind. But here's the thing. They don't make me sin. I find that I can do that quite easily on my own without much prompting. So there's a, a third battle, and that's the internal battle. So there is Satan, there is culture, but then there's this internal struggle. The final war is then within our own sinful nature. In Romans 7, Paul wrote, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well what I am doing is wrong. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. So the sinful nature wars with our soul. It creates havoc with our sense of right and wrong. It plays with our mind. It undermines our faith. It's also most evident in our fleshly and earthly desires. You see, we, we will manifest ourselves out in our behaviors. Some people will struggle with very destructive habits like alcoholism, drugs, pornography, being addicted to work, things like that. Others are obsessed with the rewards of this world, money, power, uh, prestige. 
I've always struggled, and I'm going to be honest with you, uh, with, a des- with a strange desire that maybe many of you wouldn't understand, but is real to me. I've struggled with the desire for security and love. Let me explain this. Abandonment issues, uh, a sense of loss. They've all, they've all scratched their wounds on my soul and on my heart. And our sinful nature is seen in our fears. Now, as I mentioned in a story, we all have fears, just like the story I read to you, fear of losing our friends or our our job or death of a loved one, loss of freedoms, fear of losing our own life. Fear, what it does is it prevents us from doing God's will, from being accountable, from being honest about our feelings. We deny those things because we are living in fear. Our sinful nature then manifests itself out in our attitudes. The conditions and attitudes of our heart are then manifested in our actions. So sometimes we find ourselves in something that we don't really understand why we're doing or thinking what we're doing. For example, when my wife and I have a strong disagreement, or shall I just say it, an argument, we still do after 33 years. Yeah, we still have them. It's usually because you would think because of my selfishness and my pride, and granted, I have that. I admit it. Anybody else going to admit that? You don't have to, but if you want to be accountable, you should. We all have it. But I have a sense sometimes that, you know, I'm losing something. Now, people from the outside rarely, if ever, will see this side of me, the side that loses it, that snaps at someone or even yells at my wife. I wish I could stand here and tell you that because I'm a minister or a professor, I'm exempt from this kind of internal struggle. I wish I had no sinful desires, uh, no fears, no sins of the heart. But like you, I struggle with my sinful nature every single day. And I I debated telling you how this all would work, uh, like conjuring up some deep, dark story from my past. But I just really feel like the attitude of resentment that I have in my heart that I've battled for years is probably what I should tell you about. Simply put, I, I, I have this resentment for those, and it goes back to my abandonment issues, of those who have had a mother and father who raised them and have stayed in their lives. I was abandoned at the age of four, and I was never raised by my birth mother or father. And resentment would, would really deepen itself in my spirit and resonate inside of me for many years. And I wish I could tell you that there's a great ending to the story that Years later, my birth mother and father and I all reconciled, but my mother died about three years ago, and I didn't even know about it until several weeks after her death. It'd be wonderful if I could share with you how my father and I have rebounded and after he left me, but that did not happen. He's really just an acquaintance to me. We don't share anything in common. I, I, I certainly love him in a different way, but I don't hate him. We just don't have a father-son relationship. He's someone I talk to once a month, and I saw for the first time about three weeks ago in the, in the last five years. I wish I could tell you that everyone's treated me special in my life, but that would be a lie. I've been cursed at. I've been laughed at. I, I've been told I would amount to nothing and abandoned again and again by various people. And so my sinful nature became glaringly obvious in my personal life. I blamed God for a lot of things, a lot of things. Uh, anger, bitterness, fear, they began to control me. 
And I spent a lifetime being short-tempered and judgmental and controlling. And the harder I tried to stop, the worse it seemed to get. And I didn't like what I saw. I felt the dark side of my personality. I felt Satan in my room sometimes. I, I knew things weren't right. My sinful nature was trying to consume me. I knew the enemy was attacking. And I, and I recognized that I was in the midst of an eternal struggle for my soul. And the only answer that was available to me was the peace of Jesus Christ. And during that time, I latched on to a portion of Scripture that has changed my life, and I'm going to share it with you. It's Romans chapter 7, verse 21 through 25. It was liberating for me to know that the Apostle Paul, this great disciple, this great apostle, would also struggle with his sinful nature. He said it happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? And isn't that the real question? But then he says, The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things up right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. There's no question our sinful nature is a powerful force in our life, but I came to understand that because of Jesus Christ, his shed blood and the forgiveness and the peace that he offers, we can be rescued from the torment of sin. We can be free of guilt. We can be free of condemnation. We can be free of doubt. There is going to be victory over Satan. There's going to be victory over sin. There's going to be victory over this world. And there will be victory over our sinful nature. But don't sit here today and think that you're an innocent bystander. Don't sit here in your righteous indignation or your pity party and think that you're exempt from what's happening. You cannot hide or hope it goes away. And the only way you can combat it is to do something like what I did, to get a hold of the armor of God, the scriptures, put it in, take up the weapons that God's given you, and realize this is war. But if you're going to win a war, you've got to have a game plan. So you can't walk from here and just going, well, that was nice. That was good. Yeah. Woo. That's the Christian response to just virtually everything. Not that it's bad, but it's not enough. It won't get it done. So you've got to recognize and you've got to have a game plan. So I think it's important you start with the weapons that you have at your disposal. I mean, Ephesians 6 tells us that, right? It says, use every weapon God has given you. So when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. Weapons like the Word of God. God's wisdom contained in the Bible is the single most powerful enemy and weapon that we can have used against us or we can use for us. We have to live a righteous life and discern the truth from the lie. 
Plus, I don't know if you know this or not, when you're reading the manual, the Bible, there's a good story in there about how God kicks Satan's rear end, and he wins. And so that's worth reading right there in itself. That's a nice way to end. If you like to know the ending, then go read the ending. We're going to win. You're going to win because Satan cannot defeat us. But we also need weapons like praying super strong, focused, specific prayers. What is it you want God to do? What is it you are battling? What is it you want him to tear down and to build back up in his glory? You see, we've got to be on our guard. Satan's major method of attack is that he likes to be covert and subversive. He's literally like a spy living among us. He will even use, and I know other people who are ministers will agree to this with me, he will even use people in the church to attack you. He's a master at taking advantage of our weaknesses and using them to destroy us. He's smart, he's savvy, he attacks something I like to call our blind spots. You know a little thing in a car? You're driving, I don't care what good technology you got, most of us can't afford all that anyway. You gotta look over your shoulder, you gotta be prepared, you gotta see the blind spots. See, he uses places like your hurts of your childhood like he did with me. That was a blind spot for me for so long. I just didn't see that he was at work in that. And every one of us has some place that is a point of attack for him to erode and to weaken our faith. So we never underestimate Satan. We understand where those blind spots are. We look carefully at the mind games that we play with ourselves. Things like where we rationalize and justify things. I don't need to give you examples. Your mind's already telling you right now. The Holy Spirit's already revealing to you the things that you've been fooling yourself with that you think isn't an enemy. You think you've got under control. You think you're good with today, but the Holy Spirit right now is reminding you that it is an area that you best be on guard for. Can you see the enemy at work and do you see the spiritual warfare and do you see God standing beside you? We've got to understand that God wants the best for us. But I can't promise you today that you'll never have to fight a battle. I wish I could tell you that nothing bad's going to ever happen to you or your family. I can't do it. Sometimes bad things happen and your battle, are you ready? Your battle is just to keep your faith through the trials and the tribulations. That's your battle. If you can do that, you'll learn you can overcome anything. Sometimes your sinful desires are going to control you. And sometimes you're going to give in to the pressures of this world. But here's the thing. God doesn't want us to be discouraged by the ups and downs of our faith. You must continue the process of you know, becoming a new creation, renewing your mind, allowing Christ's grace to be sufficient to carry you through the through all of your struggles. And if it means, Andrew, you got to be in the shower and God reveals something to you, that's what it takes. Wherever it is, say, God, teach me, show me. I want to be ready for you, these things. And here's another thought for you. You don't have to be special to live for Christ or defeat Satan. He wants to throw that at you, that you don't have to be special. It takes ordinary people to stand up for what's true and for what's right 
and for what's good. Satan thinks he's going to win, but ordinary people like you and me are foiling his plans. The righteousness, the faithfulness of one man matters to God. The righteousness and the faithfulness of one woman matters to God. You're called to do your job and to see what God has for you. If you're faithful in the little battles, God's grace is going to carry you through the perilous warfare for your soul. I, like I said, I'm really, I, I've been excited about sharing this message. It's not one that a lot of people want to talk about. It isn't something everybody goes, yeah, that's what I want to preach on. That's what God wants for me to share. I, I know it's difficult. I know it's challenging. I know that I've had to cover a lot of ground in a short matter of time. But I wanted to lay it out there for you today because it's been burning in my heart for several weeks. My walk away is that you become aware of the spiritual battle that exists for your soul, that forces are at work to destroy you this very moment. But I also want you to walk away with the knowledge and the strength that God loves you and he is fighting for you this very moment. And I am praying that you will see this unbelievable truth as you continue through your semester and continue through your journey as, an, as a student here at North Central, that God is fighting for you, and he will defeat Satan and his forces, that you don't fight this battle on your own, for the spirit that is in you is indeed greater than the spirit that is in the world. And yes, this is war. But through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, you and I will be victorious in this spiritual warfare. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor any Thing else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for your son Jesus Christ which fights the battle for us and won it on the cross and rose from the grave and is victorious over the enemy. And that same power lives in us through the Holy Spirit, walking with us, breathing with us, even inhaling it, we sense you around us. We pray for awareness today of the enemy, of the world, of our sinful nature, but I also pray for an equal balance today of the sense that your word, our prayers, our worship to you, our awareness, our knowledge of your power and strength and victory is with us. Today, as you sit here for just a moment, I'm asking you, what do you fear today? What are you fighting with? Recognize it. See it. Be aware of it. Is there a sin of the heart, a judgmental attitude, unforgiveness, spirit of gossip, divisiveness? Is there something you're struggling with? Are you seeing your blind spots today? Are you asking God to make you aware of the things you don't even know that you're fighting? 
Start with that. Make sure you're clear and you recognize the enemy and the spiritual warfare you're in. And then are you on the other side using every single weapon God has given you to tear down the enemy's strongholds? Don't sacrifice anything in this war. Don't find the things of this world a better fix. When you're struggling, go to the Word. Find more prayer time that's decisive, specific. God, I need your help in this. Lord God, help me with this. And fill in the blanks. And then are you just praying in the Spirit? How we... We spent a week last week just talking about the Holy Spirit, how it's available to us. And this is where the reality of it, this is where the practical application of it comes to life. Not just a head knowledge, although that's good. But the reality of it is your Holy Spirit is in us and moves through us and speaks through us. And we're aware. We sense the spiritual warfare. We sense what you're doing. We become attuned to these things. Our spiritual antennae is up and we begin to see some things that we haven't seen for a while. Father God, I pray for these students, for this faculty, for this staff, God, all of us. None of us are exempt. We're each in in some kind of personal battle at all times. Help us to be aware, a greater sense to, to cover us as we walk from here today to be able to say, oh God, I need you. Show me. But then to call upon you and to recognize that you will grant us the victory and the peace that we need, a peace that passes all understanding, a peace the world cannot give us and cannot take away, that is granted by God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray it. Amen. Thank you for coming today. Go aware of what God is doing. If you want to come up and pray, we are always here for you. God bless you.